Well, good morning. Welcome to Four Corners. My name is Ben. I'm so glad you're here, and you're in our second week of our Unshakable Message series. We're talking about standing strong when things go wrong. And like Pastor Greg told you this morning, I want to talk with you about facing failure with faith. Facing failure with faith. Now, it's only the most arrogant person in the room that would say they never fail. Every one of us fail. Failing is a part of the human condition. Ever since the Bible describes what happened in the Garden of Eden, humankind has been failing. Now, the good news is, I'm going to tell you the good news as we discuss this topic that can be pretty painful to talk about. It's easy to talk about other people's failures, isn't it? But it's very hard to talk about our own. Well, the good news is, is that by the time we get to the end, I'm going to do a lot of discussing about one of the characteristics of God that is incredibly powerful and incredibly special and very poignant for us today in light of the fact that we all fail. And that characteristic of God is God is full of grace. God is full of grace. I want to take you today to one man's story in the Bible. A gentleman who gets a lot of time, his name is Peter, in the New Testament. And he walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus do miracles. He was there when Jesus gave his great teachings he was one of the ones that Jesus looked at and said, come follow me. And Peter left everything, his family business, in this case his fishing boats and nets. And he became, instead of a fisher of fish, he became a fisher of men. And he literally walked with Jesus. But he faced a very pointed and direct failure in his life. And so in John chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, all the way to 6, we get some of that story of Peter's life. So if you have your scriptures, would like to go there with me, please turn there. If not, on the side screens beside of me, John, the disciple, is writing this gospel, this story of the good news of Jesus. And in it, he tells about particular episodes. In this case, the episode after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has already died, gone back to, or, or, or um, risen from the grave. He hasn't yet gone back to heaven. And he's interacting, the resurrected Jesus is interacting with his disciples. And by this point in, in life, they are, well, they're, they're wondering what life's going to be like. They're really, really wondering what life's going to be like. They had walked with Jesus, and then they saw him on a cross. There were hints that he might rise from the dead, but it, up to this point, they had never seen anything that dramatic. They had seen Jesus raise one or two people from the dead, but this was very, very different. And I want you to think emotionally with me for just a second, if you can. Think about the emotions of a guy like Peter, who puts his entire faith into Jesus. He left everything to follow him. His entire faith is in Jesus. And every part of his life has been adjusted around the cause of Jesus. He's literally, to the best of his ability, given everything. One of the most emotional moments of their walking together happened a few days before Jesus died. They were having a final meal together. They didn't fully know that it would be a final meal, but it ended up being the final meal. And Jesus makes a prediction to the group. He says, before too long, there's going to be someone here at this table who's eating with me that's going to betray me. Literally, they're going to do me in. Now, there's the 12, there's Jesus. One by one, the Bible says they begin to declare that they would never. And Peter, who usually steps out front, he's a leader, probably the oldest one in the group. We don't know that, but it, it appears that way. And he steps up and very boldly declares, 
even if everybody else fails you, everybody else turns against you, I'll never do it. So Jesus turns to him and he says, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows signaling the new day, you're going to deny me. I will not. I will not. And then the events unfold. Judas betrays Jesus, fulfilling Jesus' words. <laughs> but then just a few moments later, there's Peter. Jesus has been arrested, and he's in the temple courts. And there's Peter lurking in the shadows trying to see what's happening. And in the shadows, lit by the fire, one by one, three different people look at Peter and says, Hey, don't you know that guy that's on trial? And for the first time, Peter says, no, I, I, don't, know, I don't know him. And then, and then another person says, wait, you, even your accent, like, it gives you away. I think you're with him. I'm not with him. And, th and then a little girl says, I, I'm pretty sure. And then Peter, the fisherman in him, comes out. He begins to curse and swear. And he says, no, I've never even heard of that guy, Jesus. And then right there in, in, in dramatic flair, the rooster crows. And the Bible says that Peter runs out of the courtyard and he weeps bitterly, bitterly over this failure. No, no, no. Emotionally, go with me. Given everything he has, incredibly hopeful, stoked to be on a life of meaning, incredibly, uh, a life full of incredible promise, and, and a lot of sacrifice, and they, they worked hard, and they saw great things. And in just a few moments' time, it comes crumbling down. And when Peter declared over dinner, I'll never forsake you, I'll never deny you, I'm confident he meant it. I'm confident he meant that. And yet, in the pressure cooker of life, values get conflicted. Fear sets in. Sometimes it's just the raw inability to perform up to the task. And failure occurs. And when it happened to Peter, it breaks him. Like down deep brokenness. Psychologists tell us that, and again, this is going to be a bit stereotypical. Sometimes this happens just to help explain a point. But psychologists tell us that in men, adult men, the, the, the failures that seem to rattle them the deepest, like get inside, really break them, are failures around career and job stuff. That's it, probably because for a lot of men, we put our identity in our work. So when we hit a personal failure, we don't perform, something around us changes, we don't live up, but, you know, really because of our own doing, not because of what somebody did to us, then what happens is, is we feel this thing in us. For women, psychologists tell us, it typically is around relational stuff. Now, I know that's stereotypical. It may not apply to everybody in the room, but my point is, is that there are a lot of things that can rattle us to the core when it comes to failure. And it can be very difficult to get over. And then they see Jesus die, by the way. And so whatever Peter was feeling, it just gets worse. And the Bible paints a picture of Jesus on the cross, and the only people hanging around close is the disciple John, whose letter we're reading, whose writing we're reading, and some women, and everybody else, all of the others. 
are in the background. Fear, shame, some guilt, a range of emotions. And then a few days later, Jesus rises from the dead. And in John 21, it says that later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. They started having these momentary connections with the resurrected Christ. And this is how it happened, John writes. Several of the disciples were there, and he names them Simon, Peter, Thomas, and on and on. And then verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. (laughs) It's interesting. Drop your nets and come follow me. And then in the middle of the failure, he goes right back to the family business. Well, we're going to come with you, they said. We're going to come too. So they went out in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. <laughs> so it's like failure on top of failure. Hey, I've got a plan. That Jesus stuff didn't work. I've got a family business to fall back on. Here we go. So they go. And then they go fishing. And these seasoned fishermen, they've lost their edge. They can't catch anything all night. And then at dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who it really was. So they saw this person. We know it was Jesus. They don't know it yet. And this person on the beach calls out, hey friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then the friend says, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get plenty of fish. Now, now you got to just pause for a second. Go with me on the emotional journey. Seasoned fishermen, fishing all night. They know what to do. Make this one small change. There's no fish on this side of the boat, but just six feet away, there's a bunch. So they do it. Desperation, silly idea, but go ahead. And then the Bible says that they couldn't draw up the nets because there were so many fish in it. We're going to continue with this narrative story of Peter coming face to face with his failure. You're going to discover how Peter, who has, in many, many ways, lost his faith, his faith in the Lord, the one he saw die, his faith in the promise that he had given his life to, and in some ways, his faith in himself, you're going to see how he comes back around. And here's the good news for today. Here's the good news. It's going to sound like bad news, but it's good news. You are either in the middle of a failure right now and dealing with it, or you've come out of one recently. And there might still be some aftermath. Or, unfortunately, you're about to go in one. (laughs) Because that's just the nature of human beings. But the good news is, you can face your failure and I can face my failure with faith in a way that changes everything. And that's not just Christian exaggerated speech to make people feel better. It's true. You and I can face our personal failures and disappointments in a way that we engage and actually grow in our faith and come through it on the other side actually better. In the Bible, you may not know this, isn't simply a list of rules for us to do and don't do. The Bible actually describes the kind of life of faith that God wants us to have, that we ride this roller coaster of life with God. And it makes all the difference. And so sometimes in the teachings of Jesus where he says do and don't do. Sometimes in the examples of other people who are walking with him, we learn from their example. Sometimes as the Apostle Paul kind of extrapolates the point of the teachings of Jesus lived out in the modern church setting for his day. But in all of the Bible, we get this picture of living life with God in the middle of our failures. So here's the first thing I want to 
help you understand that we have to face our emotions. We have to face our emotions if we want to deal with our failures. So let me, let me show you what Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says. Paul's writing, he says, just one little snippet. There's a whole lot of context around this, but I just want to pull this out. He says, dear brothers and sisters, he's making a point. He says, no, brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved this perfection thing. I haven't arrived at all that God wants. I still bumble. I still bump into the walls. I still fail. I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. What's the one thing he focuses on in the middle of his bumbling and failing? He says that I try to forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. That, that's what we want to do when we face failures. We want to kind of forget it and keep moving forward. And so in an effort to do that, here's what some people do. They simply pretend like the failure didn't occur. Eh, the failure didn't happen. You think there's a failure, I don't. And they try to convince themselves that it wasn't really something that needs dealt with. Or they, in effect, lie to themselves and try to convince themselves it's not a big deal. Right, it's a small deal, but everybody else is like me. I'm average. It's acceptable. It's in that acceptable range of failure that doesn't really need any attention. But that doesn't really work because it tends to gnaw and eat at us, especially deep failure. And so what happens is there's a range of emotions that we have to face, a whole lot like what Peter is about to go through. Here's a couple of those emotions just to like, put them out there. Here's some of the emotions of failure. There can be incredible shock. How did I end up here? I mean, really, okay, so I did a few things, but my goodness, look at the impact of a few poor choices, and I didn't expect that, and there literally is shock. I've talked a little bit about fear already. Those of you that have teenage kids and you've observed as a parent their personal failures, and you engage them around that, your heart is sincere, you just want to help them, a lot of times you'll see this emotion from them, anger and blame. Have you ever, ever seen that from your kids, parents? Anger and blame. That happens sometimes. How about this one? Shame. The feelings of, of just shame. Like, I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. For men, a lot of times when they're embarrassed because of failure, they'll pull back. A lot of times we'll see this dynamic in church. Somebody's sincere, they're moving forward, and then they have a setback. You know, maybe some sexual thing or pornography or an attitude or they leaned into a relationship or a marriage issue and then there was a setback and now they've got shame and so they disappear. We don't see them around anymore. And sometimes people go all the way down literally to despair and they get stuck right there. That's normal, unfortunate. Most of us will go through some form of these emotions throughout our life. If you haven't yet, you will. But the Bible begins to paint for us the picture of a God who literally wants to walk with us through the failure. And here's the one that's going to be hard to believe depending on where you are in the cycle of failure. He actually wants to redeem our failures for our good. He actually wants to take this crud of life and literally use it to nourish our souls. And so the book of Hebrews writes about this kind of God in chapter 4. Here's what the Bible says to us. So then, since we have this great high priest, this is imagery from the Old Testament, that high priest that represented the people's concerns to God. We have this great high priest who has entered heaven. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. Because we have this, 
Let us hold firm to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced the same testings we faced. But when he did, he, he didn't sin. He's the only one that did that. The only one that came through it without failing. So because we have this guy who understands, who feels our pain, who endured it. So let us come boldly to the throne of the graciousness of our God. And there we're going to receive mercy. And we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. This is the beginning point of facing our failure with faith. is understanding our character and propensity to fail. You have to deal with that. You have to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am a flawed human being like everybody else. And there's another reality. There is incredible, perfect, and gracious God. And he literally wants to bring his perfection and grace and cover my brokenness. For those of us that are walking with Jesus, you did that already. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. But I want to challenge you here. That's not a once and done reality. I have found in my Christian walk, I have to regularly reaffirm for me, not for God, he gets it. It's stable. But from my perspective, I have to regularly reaffirm, God, I trust you here. Not because I somehow got better in my performance, but because you are a trustworthy God. So as my counselor tells me, feelings, write this down, this is beautiful. Feelings don't think. Feelings don't think. That's our shorthand way when I'm talking to him and explaining my feelings. I, I go to a counselor. By the way, there are pastors all over the city who don't, and they also have perfect kids and perfect wives and perfect churches. You can go find one, because that's just not here, all right? When you find them, let me know. I'll resign and sit in church next to you. Okay, so anyway. He says to me when I'm exploring my feelings, then that's all good. That's all good. Got to deal with that. But let's remember, feelings don't think. So what's the reality then? All right, that's what we feel. Let's now define reality. For the believer, here's the reality. I fail. I fail. And God is gracious and powerful and good and present And it begins to help me deal with my emotion. Here's two keys to facing the emotions of failure. This is going to help you. Here it is, first one. You and I need godly people who are going to encourage us. You and I have got to have a group of people around us saying, keep going. You got to. It's one of the powerful things about church. It's why next week when you walk in here, there will be small group catalogs on your seats. Because we want to give you the opportunity to hang out with friendly people talking about Jesus. Some of them could become your friend if you fully invest and, you know, ask for lunches and go out and do some stuff together. You can move beyond just talking about Jesus together in the room to actually into a friendship. But you've got to have friends who push you towards God, who encourage you to not give up. You need that, I need that, all of us need that. A group of people you can let your hair down with. You can be honest. And they don't, they don't just commiserate with you. They literally bring the reality of God into your situation. You need some Christian friends. 
And this is more than just that high school parenting situation where you look at your kids and say, you got to have some good influence in your life. It includes that, but I'm talking about somebody that will verbalize, here's the reality that God wants to speak into the situation. Now, if you don't have a friend like that, you may have a good friend, but you don't have what I would call a best friend yet, who can speak into your life and say, I hear you, but let's remember a couple of things. Feelings don't think. So what's the reality? The reality is, is yes, this is a real problem. Let's not pretend it's not. And here's the very present and gracious God who's going to come into the middle, cover it, and walk with you through it. I have faced situations in my life where I'm telling you, I would have shipwrecked my life if I didn't have a handful of people who were willing to come alongside me and say, let's face the reality. Yes, it's ugly, and God is good. And he's good to you, Ben, right in the middle of this. So you've got to have a few people that encourage you. If you don't, you can sign up for a small group. In fact, today, one of our next steps is going to be, hey, tell me about those small groups. We're going to read the book, Unshakable, together. And you can begin the dialogue of friendships with people of faith. That's one of the reasons why God loves the local church. He's always been about the local church. You can go to heaven and never step into the doors of a church. But it's very difficult to experience the full life God wants for you without that group of people who are regularly speaking encouragement. Here's a second key to dealing with the emotions of failure. Some of you are probably stuck there. Here it is. You got to go to Jesus with your failure. You do. You got to quit pretending like it's not a big deal. You got to quit hiding behind the fact that everybody else is doing it. And I'm no worse than anybody else. Everybody does this. Everybody does this. Everybody does this. Well, of course they do. That's why the whole world needs Jesus. God has given us an open door in this high priest. That's the image there. Maybe, maybe you don't understand. This advocate for us, this person who will come beside of us and walk through it. He's given us this incredible advocate. And we have to go to him with our failure, not run the other way. That's the tendency, isn't it, when it comes to this Christian faith? The shame kicks in, the embarrassment kicks in, and we have this tendency to run the other way. So number one, you got to face the emotions of your failure, and you can do that powerfully with Christian godly friends who are bold enough to speak God into a situation. My friends know me. They know not to tell me exactly what to do, but they know to always ask me this very powerful question. What do you think God's trying to teach you in the middle of this, Ben? What do you think he's trying to teach you in the middle of this? Because they know me. They know how to speak to me. Maybe your friends who will get to know you, maybe you have some, they can look right in the eye and say, that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard you say. That's a good friend, by the way. Here's what the Bible says about a friend who can talk to you like that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Because they wound you now, but they heal you in the end. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So we've got to face our emotions. We have to do that with Jesus. Number two, in our failure, we have to draw closer to God. Let's pick back up our story in John 21. John 21. Um, throw your nets on the other side. Remember, they pick up more fish than they can contain. And at this point, in verse 7 of John 21, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, let's pause there for a second. John's writing this gospel. And John has this ego problem, evidently. And so the, what, what he does to avoid kind of um, 
elevating himself, he says this. Here's the thing I know about me most of all. I am deeply loved by Jesus. So he writes about himself. Instead of naming himself, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. Here's the phrase, friends. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. We thought it was over. And it's the Lord. He's here. He's here right now in the middle of this. It's not over. When he said, the Lord is here, it's the Lord, he's saying it's not over. I want you to watch what Peter does. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he puts on his tunic. Evidently, he had kind of stripped down for fishing, whether he's shirtless or in his underwear or nude, who knows? I don't know. It's just kind of an odd picture. But when he, he puts on his tunic and he runs into the water, jumps into the water, and he swims ashore. Peter has this reaction now. Somewhere down deep in the middle of his failure, in the middle of his weeping bitterly after denying Jesus, in the middle of his saying, Jesus told me to become a fisher of men, but that didn't work. I'm back to the family business. This one reality, it's the Lord, changes him. And in a moment, he runs to meet his Lord. Friends, there is great power in this example of Peter, who just from, from somewhere down deep just says, I've got to get close to him. I've got to get close to him. It encourages him. It emboldens him. It strengthens him. He's living one of the Old Testament verses. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid and don't panic before people. Moses is writing to the children of Israel. Don't be afraid and don't panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. There is a strength and a reality when you understand that Jesus is present in the middle of our failure and you can run to him. It can embolden you. The reality of Jesus and who he is and his character can speak and stand against the reality of our failure. So what we're challenged to do is not be afraid of the realities around us. Not walk in fear. Not get in a cycle of shame. Not get to despair. Not just live in situational depression. But instead, let the truth of who God is and what he represents speak powerfully into our situation. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. I will never leave you nor fail you, Jesus says. So, we're going to deal with our emotions of failure. Acknowledge them. Be honest about them. We're going to let people speak into our lives. We're going to acknowledge that Jesus is there. In our failure, rather than pulling away more, we're going to lean in more. Let me tell you something powerful. Just a powerful truth about the enemy of our soul. He's called the deceiver. Did you know this? The deceiver. That's one of like the titles for the devil, if you will. The deceiver. Father of lies. And so he begins to whisper lies, and he begins to whisper um, hints of things you should do or good that you should avoid. 
and they're built on lies, and eventually, all of us eventually succumb to something, it's called a failure, that's what we're talking about. But that's not, he's not done then. Then he comes along, he's, one of his other titles is accuser, and he comes along after he has been involved in the situation getting you to fail, he then comes along and reminds you how much of a failure you are. And he's very successful at getting people to stay away from the environments that God has put in their life to encourage them to God. So what we have to do to counter the deceiver and the accuser's input in our life, we have to run to those environments where God is. Those friendships I was talking about, church, the scripture, prayer, because it's there that we find Jesus. So we deal with our emotions and our failure. We draw close to God, number three. I think what we have to do, and this is the hard work, we have to begin to identify the source of our failure and learn from it. John chapter 21, picking up the story again. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, remember they just met on the shore. When they get there, Jesus has already cooked a breakfast for everybody. They're all sitting around. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these pointing at the fish? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you, you know I love you. Now, this is their first conversation after the failure. Then Jesus says to him, well, then here's what you got to do, Peter. You got to feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Okay, okay, okay. Take care of my sheep. Once more, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now look at this next line. Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. So Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three years earlier, Jesus looked at a fisherman and said, Peter, come follow me. And Peter dropped his nets and followed him. I will make you fishers of men. But at his failure, he runs back to what's comfortable and what he knows. Shame and despair. He weeps bitterly, and he goes right back to what he knows. And then Jesus lovingly takes him through a corrective conversation. Peter, do you love me more than this stuff? It wasn't that Jesus didn't know the answer. He needed Peter to deal with what was really going on in Peter's heart. To get back to that call that was on his life. Do you love me more than this other stuff? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Okay, okay. <clears throat> well, let's get about the work I called you to do. Peter, do you love me more than this other stuff? Do you, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, Lord, I love, I love you. All right, all right, let's get to this stuff that I called you to. Let's, we've been in a cycle. Let's. In all this conversation, Jesus is teaching Peter to realize where the values of his heart really are. Okay, can I make something obvious to you about you and about me? It's not, I'm not doing this here, all right? I'm, I'm doing this. It's, it's all of us. There are things in our hearts right now. You have things in your heart right now. I have things in my heart right now. They're not good. They're black. They're not redeemed. They're not fully sanctified. There are passions and motivations and fears and hurts and desires. And God wants to deal with those. They become the wellspring of our personal failures. They become the source. 
And in our failures, we get a chance to identify there's stuff in my heart that I need to deal with. And this is where the true character of God comes out. It's not that he wants to beat us up about it. He doesn't want us to live in that place anymore. So for our good, like a surgeon, he begins to cut at the very problem that needs excised from our life. It's like the parent who knows when she takes her toddler child to the doctor to get his immunizations. She knows it's going to be painful. She's dreading the tears. She doesn't want to do it, and she's looking for a way out. And yet, and yet, she's going to do it. And she's going to put her child through that temporary pain because she knows it's best for him. This is your heavenly Father's heart for you. I want to work on that stuff here that causes you to speak falsehoods. I want to work on this heart here that causes you to gossip. I want you to work on this heart thing here that causes your ego to rise up and has been creating relational difficulties for you. I want to work on this thing. You're in a marriage, and the marriage Bible says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to help you deal with that thing that causes you not to want to submit to one another. I want to cause you to deal with that authority thing you got. I want to cause you to deal with that thing that causes your mouth to speak more than your ears are open. All those things are the source of really your personal failures. And in the middle of it, God wants to take us through a conversation. So the third time, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter, he is grieved because he gets it now. There's a, this emotional reaction. Ah, oh, ah, oh, yeah, there it is, there it is. Three times Peter denied him, and three times Jesus does the surgery. And it isn't just about proving him wrong. I want you to see what happens next. We deal with the emotions of our failure. We draw closer to God. We let God begin to identify the source of our failure, and we're trying to learn from it. And then the fourth thing that happens is we have to listen for and obey God's new plan for us, for me. Look at Proverbs 24. 16, it says, the godly may trip seven times, but they'll get up again. Yeah, you're going you're to fail. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. So, so there's this thing about those of us in a relationship with Christ. It's not that we don't fail, it's that we get up. In fact, the Bible says that there's only one failure that God can't do anything with. Maybe you know about this, I just want to touch on it just very briefly, but there's this thing called the unpardonable sin it's caused a lot of debate in the church because the only place where this gracious Jesus says, that thing right there I can't deal with. And it's a little mysterious, but I don't think it needs to be. I think I can clear this up for you very quickly. There's only one sin in our life that prevents God from covering it with his grace. And that's when we don't bow our knee to acknowledge his lordship, when we don't give him our full lives. And I, I think, you can disagree with me, you can be wrong, but you can disagree with me. Um, I was only halfway kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think that the only sin that God can't cover, the only failure he can't cover, is, and, and, and it's told us very clearly that he won't cover, is the one that prevents us from literally, when we're given the opportunity to give him our full life and accept him as our Lord and Savior, and we say no to that. I think that everywhere there's an openness to God, God's grace is fully available, and we can grab hold of that. And so I'm saying that to say that if you think you've gone too far in failure, if you think that you have blown it too bad, if you would be one of the ones that regularly says to me, 
Ben, if you knew all that I did, you wouldn't let me in your church. Well, that's just a lie. That's just a lie. You haven't failed too much. God's grace is available. He is present and there, and he can cover it all. The challenge is, is that will you run to him and discover his real and new plan for you? Will you do that? Will I do that when I fail? So in John chapter 21, verse 19, the most powerful verse in the entire story we've been looking at. Then Jesus told Peter, follow me. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Because that's exactly the call Peter was given three and a half years earlier. Jesus was saying, all right, I've done some heart surgery, now let's get back to work. Come on, I'm not done with you. Was it a big failure? Yes. We don't need to pretend it wasn't. But I want you, Peter. You're mine. I've called you. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying to you. This failure can define you, or my grace at work in your life can define you. You can hide in shame and disappear, or you can run to Jesus. But God's not done. God's not done with you. Every single sin in the Bible is coverable when we bow our knee to his lordship in our life. So how do you deal with failure? With faith. You deal with your emotions. Emotions don't think. Godly friends can speak that into your life. You got to go to Jesus with the problem. In your failure, draw closer to God. Don't run away. But then also in your failure, learn from it. And finally, get back to God's plan for your life. And the beginning of that plan for every one of us is he's called you to be a godly man or a godly woman, letting him shape and mold you. Basic Christianity. And then beyond that, there's a beautiful part of the plan of God in your life where he has a specific role of meaning and purpose for you within his kingdom. So, he's not done with you. He's not done with me. I'm probably not done failing and neither are you, but I can tell you this. A faith, a faith that is unshakable has been shaken and stood the test. A faith that is unshakable is a faith that has been shaken and has stood the test. And your failure can become a part and should become a part of your testimony. And you'll never know God any more deeply and real than when you find him at the bottom. And this is how God redeems and makes good of our failures. So would you take out your connect card and let's take a couple of steps together as a congregation. I've been talking about a powerful God here who wants to be with us in the middle of our challenges, who comes to us in the middle of our failures and he says, I still love you, I'm not done. Remember what I spoke to you. If you don't know that Jesus yet, I want to give you a chance to receive him. Next step A says, today, I'm asking Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, you haven't yet bowed your knee to him, I want to ask you to do that because that's how you open your life fully to him. It doesn't mean you're committing to be perfect. You're certainly not joining our church today by doing this. All you're doing is saying, I want Jesus to cover my sin. I put my trust in his death and resurrection to secure my relationship to the Heavenly Father. And I want to let him lead my life to the best of my ability, even when I fail. 
you want to do that, check the box. And in just a moment, when the offering buckets come by at the end of our service, you put that card in there and we communicate with you via email. And when I close our time together in, in prayer in just a moment, I'm going to use some words. You can use mine or use your own and look to God and say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Wash me clean. Wash me clean. For those of you like me who have failures, sometimes even recent ones, maybe, maybe you're like you're facing a failure. Use it as an opportunity to say, God, the grace I received from you way back then, I grab hold of again, fresh and new right now. And for those of us who haven't yet learned from our failure, we just keep repeating the same ones. Pray an honest prayer here in just a second. God, search my heart, David prayed. Search my heart, God. See if there be even the smallest hint of wickedness in me. Search it and let God do the surgery he wants to do. Here's next step B for us today. Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. If you want to go public with your faith, it's going to be awesome. We have several people who've been checking this box over next week. Next time's going to be awesome. So just check the box. We'll answer your questions or get you signed up. Here's next step C. I read you this passage today, and I just want it to like sink in your soul. So maybe you can memorize this with me this week. Deuteronomy 31.6. So be strong and courageous, and don't be afraid, and don't panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He'll neither fail you nor abandon you. If you want to memorize that, check it. We'll send you an email to reminder. Here's next step D. We have a couple of uh, changes we're making in our kids' ministry. So I'm just asking for a group of you. If you check the box, we'll tell you all about it. Here's what it says. I'm going to commit to serving and foresee kids over the next 12 weeks between now and the end of the year, just four times. We'll work on your schedule. We just need some warm bodies to help us as we get ready for an exciting thing that's coming our way. Uh, you're going to love this, all right? So check the box if you're willing at all to help us temporarily on this and uh, let us know, all right? Next step, E. I want to join a 4C Unshakable small group. Send me that information. Just check that. You'll get an advance notice of the catalog that comes out next week and you can get ahead of the curve on that, all right? Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you, first of all, before I pray for this church, for what you've done in my life over the last few days. God, you've shown me where you want to do some surgery. And while it hasn't been pleasant, you've been gracious. And you've been true. And most of all, you've just been there. Now, Lord, I pray with my brothers and sisters in this room, with the seekers in this room, with those who feel like they failed too much in this room, that right now your grace would penetrate, your truth would penetrate all of our hearts. That you would open us up, God, and help us see what you see about us. That yes, we have failed and are failing, but you are a great and good and powerful and gracious God. Lord, I lift up those right now who are declaring, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Wash me by your blood and save me. Lord, I pray for our church as we press into opportunities with kids' ministry that you would just get us fully ready for that over the next few weeks. You know, the power of young men and women who learn your truth and your character early in life. Now, Jesus, we submit all of this to you. Do your work among us. I pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.